Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Thank you, Pastor David at 12 Stone Home. Thank you for those of us in the room. Welcome to 12 Stone and welcome to Family Day. Today we get a chance to celebrate families. We got kids in the room. We got kids at home where you're at. And we're so glad to be together. At the end of the service, we had a chance to celebrate baby dedication together, something we've not done in forever. And we're super stoked to do that, both here in the room and at 12 Stone Home. And so those families who are ready for that, you know who you are. It's going to be a great Great day. But when I, when I say the word family, that's a loaded word, right? When I say family, we all think of different things. Some of y'all think of your crazy Uncle Eddie and his RV. Some of y'all think of memories in the past that are good, some, some that are bad. You see, when I say family, it means different things to different people. For some, it's mom, dad, kids, and, and the family pet. For others, it's a, a mom and dad, and they don't have kids yet, but they want kids, and they're trying For some, it's that newlywed sort of honeymoon season of family. It's just a husband and wife and just, oh, you're so perfect. Everything you do is so good. Give it six months, right? It's good. You'll get there. (laughs) See, some of us have blended families and his kids and her kids now become our kids and we're working that out. We've got single parents and that might not have been the plan going into things. We've, We've got empty nesters and your kids are gone, and somehow, praise Jesus, someone's celebrating, but somehow, you're still parenting, right? Like, you're 25. I don't want to do this anymore. Some of y'all are single, and you've got the most freedom of anybody, and you're still part of sort of your nuclear family. That's great. See, family means different things to different people, and oftentimes, the, the stories that we tell about family are the stories that shaped us, and it's like you get together at a family reunion, and, and you say things like this. You remember the time when... And the things that follow sometimes are crazy. See, I remember the time when uh, my dad was in the backyard and there was a poisonous snake. And we were probably, my brother and I, probably 10 and 8. And he went over and chopped the head off like a hero. And then he took the shovel and threw the snake. But it got caught on the shovel and ended up wrapping around my brother's legs. And he still has nightmares to this day about snakes, right? That'll shape who you are. You see, your family shapes who you are. I can remember countless Saturdays, my dad dropping my brother and, all, brother and I off at a house to paint. We painted houses uh, to make money for college. And I remember him dropping us off at the crack of dawn. Sometime around noon, he'd drive by and throw a bag of McDonald's cheeseburgers out the window at us and keep driving. About dusk, he'd come pick us back up and evaluate the work. You know, I remember all those Saturdays. See, I remember my dad bought us our dog. We were so excited. Problem is, he bought it at a flea market. And they promised him it was a pure blood beagle. It was a basset hound, the worst dog that the world has ever seen. And uh, it shaped my view of dogs for a long time. See, the stories, the stories we tell, our family stories, they, they shape us, they mark us, they, they kind of shape who we are. But, but did you know that God actually uses the term family to describe our relationship to him and to each other? See, when I say family, it's not just the biological family, it's, it's our spiritual family. And even though you might not have been born into God's family, you can be bought into God's family through the blood of Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. God, God uses the term family on purpose. It's why when we baptize people here at 12 Stone, you hear us say, I baptize you, my 
brother and sister. That's not just a fun way to say it. That's God's way to say it. In fact, it's been a while since we've seen a baptism here live. So I want us to just enjoy remembering a baptism with this cute little girl. Check it out. Sarah, do you believe in Jesus? Yes, sir. Does he love you? Yes, sir. Where are you going one day? Disney World. <laughs> Disney World. <laughs> hey. Disney World in heaven. It doesn't get any better. Uh. <laughs> Disney World. Why not, right? For kids, that's their picture of heaven anyway. You see, that's, that's why we baptize them and say that. So I, I got to be clear. God is everybody's creator but not necessarily everybody's father. See, everyone is created in God's image, but when you say yes to Jesus and you accept salvation that Jesus offers, then God becomes your dad. That's how you get in the family. In fact, I want to just give me five minutes of liberty to give you a theology lesson. What happens in salvation? I want you guys to understand just how profound God's love for us is. See, at the moment of salvation, what happens Three things. The first thing that happens is justification. And here's what that means. Or here's, here's the deal. Justification has to do with a change in standing. And God in this picture is our judge. You were guilty for your sins. You did them. You're guilty. You're hosed. And what justification does is it, is it declares you innocent of the sins you actually committed. It's a legal term saying you are now justified just as if you never sinned. And the Bible unpacks this thought just briefly in the book of Romans. It says, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. That's great news. You've been, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been justified. God could have stopped there and this is still worthy of a party. It's incredible. But it goes further. Next, he he regenerates us. We see regeneration has to do with a change in nature. And here God is creator. He was judge and now he's creator. He recreates us. He makes us a new person in Christ. He regenerates us. And scripture tells us that this is what he says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Praise God. That's good news, isn't it? Regeneration. He regenerates us. And God could have stopped there. Like, this is already crazy front page headlines, great news. God, you regenerate us. You make us new. But he didn't. God's love compelled him to go one step further. And here's where he went. Adoption. <sighs> Has to do with a change in position. And here, God is dad. See, we went from a judge to a dad. God adopted us into his family. He, we went from being an enemy of God to a child of God. God didn't have to do this. It was good enough that we were forgiven and declared innocent, but God made us part of his family. Here's what scripture says about adoption. It's all over the New Testament. It's all through the storyline of the Old Testament, but here's just one. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, Jesus, born of a woman, but under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship and daughtership, if that's a word. Because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. That's good news right there, folks. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, God invites us into his family. 
He adopts us in. A couple things about that passage. The word Abba. That whole passage is written in the Greek language, except the word Abba is written in Aramaic. Why? See, when Jesus walked the earth, the language Jesus spoke was Aramaic. It was the type of language he spoke. And so the disciples, just in the book of John alone, Jesus said Abba, which means daddy, over a hundred times. You see, the disciples would have heard this so much, it would have marked them that, that Jesus would call the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Daddy. It would have marked them so much that that phrase would have been passed down, and they chose specifically to use that phrase in Scripture because it's saying, God is your Daddy. God loves you. Beyond the relational side of this, this is a legal thing. See, the writer used a legal term in that passage, the, the, the actual Roman legal term for adoption, which means to place a son. Because he, what he's literally saying is, you are legally, spiritually adopted into God's family. This is not like a play on words or a poetic thought. God fully brings you into his family. You are a son, a daughter. There's no second-class citizens in, in the family of God. You are in the family. In fact, this is such a profound thought that our nation actually in our U.S. law had to make a big deal about adoption because it's such a dramatic acceptance into family. Listen to U.S. law. Upon finalization of the adoption, the adoptive parents obtain the same rights and responsibilities with respect to the child that biological parents typically have. And the parental relationship is not subject to revocation. So you are fully in the family of God. If you're a follower of Jesus, we are now brothers and sisters. See, adoption's a beautiful picture. And maybe you saw the news and you've, uh, you saw the, uh, the viral video from the little boy in Oklahoma. See, every week the nightly news there in Oklahoma City features a kid that's in the foster system. And this little boy went viral with his desire to be adopted. Maybe you'll see yourself in this. Check it out. Jordan strapped on some rollerblades, and it didn't take long for him to show us some impressive skills. If Jordan looks familiar to you, it's because we featured him and his brother Brazen three years ago at Frontier City. Back then, the siblings lived in separate foster homes. We would like to do anything, like bike and karate. Brazen has since been adopted, and Jordan says he doesn't get to see his little brother that much anymore. Now, this nine-year-old just hopes he'll soon find his own loving family. If you could go anywhere, anywhere in the whole wide world, where would it be? To an adoption party or a home. And if you were granted three wishes? Family, family, those are only wishes I have. It's no secret a family would be a dream come true. Jordan lives at a group home now, but would love a sense of normalcy and the unconditional love of a parent. I call mom and dad, or this mom, or this dad. I don't really care. A family to eat mac and cheese together, ride bikes together, and most of all. Well, the reason why it's important is because um, so I could have um, some, like, some people to talk to anytime I need to. A child just looking for his place to call home. Oklahoma's News 4. That story tugs at your heart, doesn't it? See, when you have family, you wish for Disney World. When you don't have family, you wish for family. And the cry of our heart is we want family. God, would you adopt me? Would you bring me into your family? 
And here's the good news about that story. After that story ran, thousands upon thousands of families said, I'm getting in line. I want to adopt that little boy. And he's going to find a family, which is beautiful. And in that story, that is the heart of God. He comes after you. That's the heart of God. Is that while we were once spiritual orphans, he invites us in to the family. See, that's the heart of God. So let me give you the picture. It's as if the God of the universe stepped down into the orphanage of this earth. He said, I want that little girl right there. That one's mine. And Satan said, nah, I don't know how she got mixed in with the rest of them. That one's actually mine. But God knew Satan's a terrible father. The family of this earth is a terrible family. God said, no, I still want that little girl. Satan said, here's the problem. There's a debt that's owed. That little girl's not free. How about this? I'll give you that little girl if you'll give me your son. But let's be clear. I'm going to spit on him. I'm going to beat him. I'm going to crucify him. I'm going to kill him. And God said, I still want that little girl. So when we say adoption, this is God revealing his heart, his love for us. If you knew how much God loved you, it would, it would blow your mind. That's the heart of the father. I know it's cheesy, but if God had a wallet, your picture would be in it. That's the kind of God we serve. See, I can't talk about the topic of adoption without just taking a pause for a second. I see a timeout. See, this culture is messed up in so many ways. There's so much going on right now. Pastor Kevin taught in the last series that Satan's the father of lies, and there are lies all over the place. I want to talk to those in our church that are in the black and brown community. You know, it's so easy to look in the mirror and ask yourself the question, do I have value? Do I have worth? Do I matter? And I'm telling you that the theology of adoption screams that you matter to God and you matter to us, that God would trade his son Jesus for you. You have great worth. You have great value. And your church family loves you dearly. That's the nature of adoption. See, the theology of adoption screams that we are all brothers and sisters. Not because of blood, but because of Christ's blood. Not because of the blood of your biological family, but because of the blood of Jesus, we can be family. That's the beautiful thing. And the great news of Christianity is that your biological family of origin may have written your past, but it doesn't determine your future. Jesus determines your future. See, that's the good news of adoption. I've laid out the theology behind it. You hopefully catch the heart of the Father. So what does it look like? What does it mean when you're in the family of God? There's three things I want you to understand. What does family give us? The first thing is family gives us our identity. Family gives us our identity. When I say identity, here's what I mean. The deepest part of who you are, the thing that connects all the various aspects of your life together is your identity. It's how you define yourself at the core. See, growing up, my dad helped to define me by my last name. I was a Barry, and that meant something. It's kind of a weak last name to say that too, right? Like if my last name was like Ratchet or Hammer, that's like cool. My name is Barry. How many halftime speeches the coach would pull us in the locker room and yell and scream at us to play harder, and then my dad would grab me away from that and do it again? You're a berry. Step it up. And I'm like, I'm a berry. You know, that's, that's how I grew up. So you've heard it before. I, my dad has berry-isms. These are the things that define what it means to be in our family. 
See, we always leave things better than we find them, which means when we go to restaurants, we oftentimes are washing the table better than the waitress would at the end of the table. We leave it better than we found it. We, we, we work first and play second. That's a barryism, which stinks because Saturday morning cartoons are on first thing in the morning, and I was working. Thanks for that. See, berries don't quit. We don't quit until the job's done. Like Those are the barryisms. He wanted me to run everything about my life through my last name. Ask the question, would a Barry do that? Would a Barry act like that, treat people like that, talk like that? He, he wanted me to run my life through that. See, it was so profound that when I would get in trouble, maybe, maybe you guys came from a small town. When I get in trouble, get caught doing something I shouldn't do, what'd they ask? They'd say, you damn Barry's boy? And that's how you knew, I'm in trouble. They related to me because of who my dad was. And that's true for us. I think God wants to invite us in to have our identity in our Christian spiritual family. You see, God does what humanity couldn't do on its own. He transcends all these identity markers and says you are more than any of them. You are more than your career. You're more than your job. You're more than your bank account. You're more than your race. You're more than your gender. You're more than your biological family. You're more than the amount of followers you have on social media. You are more than your SAT score. You're more than where you went to college. You're more than the size house you live in. He's saying, my identity for you is over. It transcends all of those things. Your identity is found in being a child of God. That's your identity. See, identity is an interesting thing in this culture. People try to make your identity who you are, what you look like, what you do for a living, the kind of clothes you wear, the, the music you like. And listen, your identity is not found in who you are. It's found in whose you are. And you belong to your Father in heaven. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's the beauty of adoption. This is a massive thought. This should, this should shape how we carry ourselves. I was praying this morning. I said, God, would you enlarge our hearts to understand what adoption means, that we could walk in like a holy swagger going, that's, I know who my daddy is. I walk different. I live different. I treat people different. See, but we mix this, this stuff up. See, we mix up the difference between identifying with something and finding your identity in something. See, I identify with being a dog's fan. Go dogs. Anybody? Am I alone? Go dogs, man. Hopefully they play football. I identify with that, but I don't find my identity in that. Because when the dogs lose, then my identity crumbles. It doesn't happen very often, but it can happen. See, I identify with being a father and a husband and with my family. I identify with that, but I don't find my identity in my kids. Because when they mess up, my world crumbles because my identity was tied to that. I identify with being a pastor at 12 Stone, but I don't find my identity in this because I'm just one bad sermon away from my life crumbling because I found my identity in that. I, have, I identify with a, a political worldview, and so do you. I don't find my identity in that because what happens when your candidate loses? Half the country's candidate's about to lose. Your world's going to crumble because you placed your identity in that. What God's inviting us to is to place our identity in him because God is never shaken. God never crumbles. God never loses. And when our identity is secure in who he is, as our daddy, we're unshakable. Don't we need to be unshakable in a culture and a season, a time like this? That's what adoption does. It brings you into the family. See, my dad tried to teach me, run every decision through the filter of you're a berry. I'd ask myself, would a Barry do that? 
Oftentimes I said they wouldn't and I still did it, but I forgiveness. But wherever we find our identity is what we run our decisions through. And some of you, your identity is I'm the boss. I'm high up on the ladder. And so you ask yourself unknowingly, subconsciously, would the boss of the company do that? Would the boss of the company serve that person? Maybe not. But would a child of God serve that person? Yeah. Would a Republican or a Democrat do that? I don't know, but would a son of God do that? Maybe you should. With the popular kid in school, maybe that's your identity, that you're popular, you got followers, and you go, man, would the popular kid treat that kid that way? Yeah, he would, but would a child of God do that? That's the question we have to ask. See, your identity shapes how you act in everything you do, and your adoption into God's family gives you an identity. Second thing that family gives you, family gives us access. It gives us access to our dad. See, if God wanted to make this whole Christian journey just a bunch of transactions, he would have kept himself at a distance as judge going, now listen, I, I said you're innocent, now get out of the courtroom. But he get further, he said, no, I want to invite you into my living room. I'm your dad. See, my dad was a pastor, and I, I got to watch how people related to him. They knew him as Pastor Barry or Dr. Barry. They didn't, that's how they saw him. They knew him from stage. They knew him from how he'd shake hands in the lobby, but they didn't know my dad. Changes how you view your pastor when you see him walk around the house in their underwear, right? Like, I knew my dad. See, the difference was this. If you were in the church, you had to schedule a meeting and get on his calendar. Anytime I wanted to barge into his office and see my dad, I could, because sonship trumped everything. You have a father in heaven who gave you access See, maybe Tim Keller said it best. I wish I could think this brilliantly. The only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is his child. We have that kind of access. We have access to the king of the world. Your dad's the king of the world, and you have access. Because of what Jesus, our brother, did on the cross, we have access to our father. By adopting me, God's literally saying, don't just stand in awe of me. I want you to draw close to me. That's the access he gives us. And for many of you, as I say the word father, maybe you have good or bad memories of that word. And it, it might be tough for you to relate to God through the filter of father. Because I've, I've described my dad as a great dad. But you've heard PK describe his dad as a dad who struggled to be the dad that Kevin needed. But the good news is we both have the same heavenly father. And that's great news. Because God gives us access and this, this might sound silly. Let me make it practical. Maybe you need for the next two weeks to start every prayer to God by just saying, Daddy. I know it sounds cheesy. I know it sounds silly. Like, I don't want to say Dad. Don't do it out loud in public. Then do it quietly. Because when you, when you recognize the access that you're not just the king of the world, you're my dad. You pray different. You can't say Daddy and then go into a bunch of religious junk. You say Daddy and then go, here's my heart. God, help. Maybe that'll be a helpful thing. See, the last piece to the puzzle, is it gives us access, but it also gives us responsibilities. Family gives us responsibilities. So you get all the rights of what it means to be in the family of God, but you also pick up the responsibilities like in any family. You get this is how family works, right? 
When, when you're in a family, you have responsibilities. And there's a difference between business and family. The reason that God chose to give us the words family as opposed to business is he wants it to be tweaked and leaned into family. See, business is you go to Walmart and you see the dude in the blue vest and, and he's there to serve you and the customer's always right, right? That's how business works. It's a transaction. You treat me right, I'll spend my money here. That's not family. See, I don't walk into my house and my brother says, hello, Jason, how can I serve you today? He's literally never done that, ever. I don't walk in the kitchen and say, mom, uh, you're making dinner. And she goes, what are you doing? I'm just going to sit here and watch. And then once I eat dinner, I will consume that dinner and I will rate it one to 10, give you a Yelp review, and I will head out from there. My dad would have beat me and he would have invited one of his friends who was mad at his kid to come over and beat me too. Like that would not have happened. That's not family. See, when, you, when you're invited into the family of God, you get all the, the rights and privileges and access and identity, but you also pick up responsibilities. Don't, don't turn your family into a business. Don't turn our church family into a business. See, in our culture, it's so easy, especially with how things are playing out right now. It's so easy to make what God designed to be family into a business where you show up, or you tune in, you watch a service, and you got about a seven. It's pretty good. Shut it off and go on with your life when God's going, no, I'm inviting you in to be a part of family. See, family doesn't look to be served. It looks to serve. So as we open up campuses, Hamilton Mill on September 13th, as we begin to open up more campuses, we need you to be family, and that means to jump in with the responsibilities that we have. We need you to jump in and say, I'm going to be a part of reopening this campus and that campus. I'm not looking to be served. I'm looking to serve. Why? Not because you're trying to earn God's love. You already have it. You're trying to live up to the responsibilities of what it means to be in the family of God. When you're in the family, you serve, not look to be served. See, I want to drive this whole thought into one expression of what family responsibilities look like. See, one of the greatest responsibilities our church has is caring for the next generation. You get that everything is always one generation from extinction. And our role in the local church, our local church family, we have great responsibility to the next generation. In fact, that's why we do baby dedications publicly. Because it's not just a, a private exchange between parents and their kid or parents and God. It's, a, it's an invitation for the whole church to take responsibility to say, I'm in the family and I own my side. In fact, when we do baby dedication, we, we give a charge to the parents and they have to say, we, we agree to three things. And then we invite the whole church as well to say, I'm involved in this. It takes a city. It takes all of the greater family to raise a child to know Jesus. So when we say we have responsibility, we have great responsibility to the next generation. So this, this past week or two, we've had our campus pastors, our children's staff reaching out uh, to families all across our church and all across this territory. If that's you, you know who you are. Whether you're here in the room, we're going to bring some families out. Or if you're at 12 Stone Home, you know you can begin to get ready right now because we're going to do baby dedication. It's been a long time since we've been able to do a, an actual baby dedication. So we're going to do that now. And you know who you are. Prepare. You might have your family there with you. You might have some friends. You might be in a 12-stone home group. But we're going to actually do baby dedication together. And this is part of what it means to be a part of a family. So come on out, families. I know they're ready in the back. You can give it up for them as they come out as we celebrate 
family together. And as they come out, get, you're freed up to say, ooh and ah, these babies are beautiful. You're freed up. Y'all look good. Those masks look good. The kids look good. Everything's good. There we go. So let me say this. As, as we prepare for, for baby dedication, let me tell you what this isn't. This is not the salvation moment for these kids. We don't believe that, that we're going to somehow like pray salvation into them right here now. This is a marking moment to say, the parents are saying, I promise, I commit to raise my kid to know and to love Jesus. That's the commitment. And so this is not salvation. Don't, don't mess that up. But that's what this is. And so parents, I'm going to have three questions for you. And if you agree to these statements, your answer is I will or we will. So here's the first question. Will you promise today to pursue the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength as an example before your child? If so, you say I will or we will. Second question. Will you promise to be intentional in introducing your child to Jesus and teaching them to trust and follow him? If so, your answer is I will or we will. Question three, will you promise to be present for your children and walk with them on their faith journey? If so, your answer is I will or we will. Now church, their promises matter before them and before God, but we have a role in this. See, we have a role in investing in the next generation. Maybe you're an empty nester and you go, I don't have kids. You still do. You've got kingdom kids. You've got spiritual family kids. See, it says in Psalm 71, 18, even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me till I declare your power to the next generation. Church, that scripture conveys our heart that, listen, you guys are not alone. That's the beauty of a church family. You're not alone. There are moments where you feel alone. There are moments where you feel like this is overwhelming, but you are not alone. Every person in this room is part of your church family. And so church family here and at 12 Stone Home, can we all stand up? And if you're at 12 Stone Home and you're doing a baby dedication, you're, you're looking at that baby right now and you're saying, these are my commitments. And this is for us, the church. So church, will you declare God's power to the next generation through your prayers, your giving, and your serving? If so, our answer is we will. Will you promise to pray for and influence these children, acting as role models and guides, helping them lead godly lives? If so, we say we will. Will you live in such a way that these children see, know, and feel that they matter to God and they matter to us? If so, your answer is we will. So pray with me. We're going to pray together over your children. And this is just a picture. It's happening at 12 Stone Home. It's happening online. It's happening all over. This is a picture of your greater family praying over and believing and partnering with you to make these kids know the love of Jesus. So let's pray together. So Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the opportunity for salvation because of what Jesus did. God, thank you for the blessing of children. And Lord, I pray a blessing over each family here, over each family at 12 Stone Home, over each family watching online that are dedicating their children now, God. Lord, would you strengthen these parents in moments where they're weak? Would you give them patience in moments where they're frustrated? Lord, I pray that their kids faith would be caught as much as it's taught, that they'd watch mom or dad and they'd say, that person loves Jesus. 
Lord, would you give them the words to speak? Would you give them the wisdom and moments to parent? And God, ultimately, we pray for the future salvation of each of these children. God, would there be a day, a moment, where each of these children say yes to Jesus for themselves because they have to give an account. Mom and dad's faith doesn't get them into eternity. God, would there be a moment where they recognize Jesus as their savior? I pray that blessing over each child being dedicated now. And God, I pray for us. You've invited us into the family, and so we have responsibilities. Father, would you help your church to live up to our responsibilities on behalf of these children and all the children being dedicated today? May we be the type of church family that models what it looks like to be children of God. We love you, Jesus. There's no one like you. In your name, amen. Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.